CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group CEE Special Edition University Autonomy and Academic Freedom A Regional Perspective No, I don't think universities in exile is a pattern and it definitely should not be a pattern. I mean, the Central European University, my university, is not a university in exile. Um, it has moved to Vienna and will make Vienna its permanent home. Is university in exile the future of Central Europe? This is what answered Shalini Randaria, Rector and President of the Central European University. Indeed, in 2018, with the Hungarian government banning CEU from welcoming new students, the university had to relocate its activities from Budapest to Vienna. Despite the widespread protest, the Hungarian ruling party Fidesz continues to expand its control over research and educational institutions. This represents direct attacks on academic freedom and university autonomy. Hi and welcome back to CEE, Central Europe Explained. I'm Emma Honteberry, Research Associate at the IDM, and I'm here today with my colleague Daniel Martinet. Hi Daniel, and thanks for joining. Hi Emma, glad to be with you today. So we will be talking about university autonomy and academic freedom in this podcast. These are under attack pillars of modern democracies. But first, let's share a bit of background information about you and this episode. Sure. As you mentioned, I'm not only IDM Research Associate, where I focus on domestic and foreign politics of Visegrad countries, but at the same time, I'm also PhD candidate at the University of West Bohemia in Pilsen, Czechia. And uh, additionally, I'm also responsible for the Permanent Secretariat of DRC, the Danube Rectors Conference, where I was also a coordinator of the so-called DRC Strategic Foresight Project in 2022. Thank you. So now I would like to jump in the core of our topic and reflect on the current state of university autonomy and academic freedom. But before, I want to make a clarification note. In this podcast, and like the previous ones, you will hear the voices of several participants of the DRC Summer School. Some are anonymous interviews and some are not. So don't be surprised of hearing unknown voices. This podcast was conducted with the participation of Grant Dunnery, Edza Arya Kvorendra, Fiona Fass, and Lilian Viselinovic. To start with, I want to go back to the case of Central Europe University. Here, let's listen to Grant and hear about his input as well as Rector Shalini Rendarias. I'll start off by pointing out that in September 2018, the European Parliament voted to trigger Article 7 against Hungary, following the Orbán government's attempts to infringe upon academic freedom. The political impetus for this was triggered by Orbán's introduction of legislation, which targeted the Central European University's liberal principles and wished to ensure continued access to the international body of knowledge. Clearly, Orban views free debate and access to information as a threat to his vision of a narrow, highly nationalistic historical narrative for Hungary. As a result, the Orban government introduced legislation which created an environment of legal ambiguity 
which while not formally infringing upon the flow of information or teaching, has made Hungary an increasingly uncomfortable and hostile environment for the free exchange of ideas. In response to this, Article 7, which is used when there is a clear risk of a serious breach to EU values, was voted through by the European Parliament. The article has two components. The first consists of a formal warning, which is given to the state in question. However, if this does not have a desired effect, then the second clause can be introduced, which consists of the introduction of sanctions and can also include the suspension of voting rights. I believe it is really important that Grant provides some background information on what actually happened in the case of Central European University, because, in my opinion, many people heard the story about the CEU, but they might not know about the circumstances under which the university has been forced to allocate to a different country. In my view, the European Union's response to Orban's attempts to undermine academic freedom, which are underpinned by liberal democratic values, is emblematic of the threat to academic freedom and liberal democracy, not only in the Danube region, but also across Europe and at the broader world. I think what we need to do, um, all of us uh, together, uh, is to ensure that universities can stay in the countries in which they are uh, institutionalized at present. Universities in exile as a pattern would mean that uh, authoritarian regimes could force universities out, like the CU was uh, uh, forcibly uh, displaced from uh, Budapest, and that is certainly something we should do our very, very best to prevent. Uh, we have to ensure that universities can stay, but can stay where they are without political interference and uh, that they are able to preserve their autonomy, autonomy of governance, autonomy of uh, admitting uh, the students whom they would like to admit, autonomy to teach the courses that they want to teach and their uh, freedom to not only appoint their own uh, board members, boards of trustees, their own rectors, their own professors, but also to be able to teach the content um, of uh, curricula that they would like to teach. I'm glad to hear from Rector Randeria's take on the CEU's force allocation and the different approaches one can take when speaking about university autonomy and governance. Indeed, the university as such is not a closed, untouchable world or space. Higher education and its institutions, as well as universities, are fundamentally influenced by the surrounding conditions and circumstances, which affect their functioning to varying degrees. This is something which we can apply to all higher education institutions around the globe and the region of Central, Eastern and Southeastern Europe is particularly somewhat special and diverse in that regard. So as you said, academic institutions are influenced by the context and surroundings in which they find themselves. University need the independent to operate by self, even about the research, about the teaching and the professor and so on. As Edza mentioned, to operate freely and democratically, they need to ensure themselves diverse autonomies, which ultimately are tied to the law. Indeed, this has strong consequences on university autonomy and academic freedom. 
This relates, of course, to the relationship universities have outside their institutions, especially with the state. But let's listen to Lillian's input on this. We can see that this relationship between the state and higher education in the past and now has changed, you know. Uh, but we can even observe this in recent times. Uh, we can see that we can actually challenge university autonomy and academic freedoms by changing the laws very often. So that's something I observe, at least in my country, uh, especially uh, because we have this uh, decentralized government, so there are many opportunities to change this law at different levels. At least 13 levels can you know, create different laws. So these changes in the law, which are often done without some analysis to back up in the evidence-based policy, they introduce some changes that are, to some extent, um, limiting academic freedom. Uh, for example, these laws even specify how many hours a professor should be in the room, but also um, recent changes try to define a special council, even though we have many mechanisms of control and ensuring the quality of higher education, they wanted to introduce a new body that will actually address you know, what you can do, what is relevant to do, so some kind of additional control. Even such uh, specifications like in order to exist as a university professor, you need to publish at Q1 article about science, which is challenging. You need to make some shift. So in that regards, I think such environments are really not good for exercising academic freedom. Uh, so we need to address that. And I also believe that we need to simulate uh, discussion between professors and students in order to create engaged citizens. So students can freely express themselves uh, without being under stress if they say something wrong or not. So we should really uh, focus to change university culture, in fact, so we can actually increase academic freedom, but also we should not allow this uh, so often to change the laws. I think in Sarajevo, in the last 10 years, we had at least three major changes of the law, which is not so easy to follow and to know you know, what you should do what you should not do. I'm wondering about what Lillian means when mentioning university culture and how this could have an impact on academic freedom. But I guess we will come back to it later. I realize we mentioned a few times university autonomy and this within diverse sphere, yet we did not define it. Could you shed some light on it, Daniel? According to the European University Association, there are actually different types of university autonomy, institutional, organizational, financial, academic, but also, for example, staffing autonomy. All of these are, of course, interconnected and also influence each other. What we can observe in the Danube region is that these different types of autonomy are being somehow threatened or even limited by mostly external political and or ideological pressures. In some cases, these forces are indirectly or unintentionally posed on the university by, for example, creating legal burdens, as we could hear from Lilian's description of the situation in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where decentralized educational system allows various law reforms at different levels of public administration. But sometimes we can observe direct 
targeting efforts mostly by ruling political parties to shape educational institutions and the university environment in general. This government is creating this pressure that, you know, just some kind of control. Some of these controls are somehow very direct, somehow these rules are very difficult to achieve, but I believe that in order to exist, uh, to make universities do their job, we really need to work on university freedom uh, or academic freedom, you know, because without that we cannot make progress in science and research. So we should make that rather, how to say, exception than a pattern for the future of the European Union. That is something which is currently happening in Hungary. If we go back to this country, where more than 30 higher education and culture institutions, including 21 universities, have been cut off from Horizon Europe and Erasmus Plus funding over ongoing concerns about rule of law breaches in the country. It affects institutions operated as so-called public trust foundations, which are maintained by such foundations. Actually, during the last two years, the Hungarian government has brought 34 institutions in total under the control of these foundations, whose governing bodies contain members closely linked to the country's prime minister, Viktor Orban, and his political party, Fidesz. Hence, sovereignty and free will of universities are strongly linked to the structure of the political system of the countries they are located into. To this extent, let's listen to Fiona, who shares some thoughts based on her own experience, especially her different views toward the university system where she studied, the University of Applied Science in Kiel, and where she did an internship at the Andrasi University in Budapest. I noticed some differences and also gained insights into how research institutions are challenged by the Orban government and step by step um, this subliminal rebuilding of the higher education sector and this gradual privatization of universities and the restructuring of public research institutions into private foundations. This leads to important university positions being filled with people loyal to the party And adding to that, from what I know and from what people told me when I was in Budapest, is also that nepotism and favoring people you know into certain positions and board of trustees, dean positions and also professional positions are a big problem and they could in fact undermine the quality of education and teaching. And I cannot really imagine that to happen in Germany and in the German university system at least not to that extent as we have so-called principle of political neutrality of professors, which kind of guarantees academic freedom, I think. And political neutrality does not mean that we do not talk about politics or that professors and deans cannot be member of any parties, but we do not see such an influence on well, the university culture and the way of teaching. And I think that, um, yeah, we, we can see here a difference between maybe countries of the Danube region. I mean, the southern part of Germany also belongs to the Danube region. But um, yeah, we have here this contrast. 
This brought us to another point I would like to explore, which is the relationship between governance and autonomy. Especially after looking into the different types of autonomies and pressures, I am wondering, what are the power dynamics within the university? I mean, I know that universities are all diverse entities which differ from one another. However, is there a common ground of values which could apply to the entire academic sphere? What are your views on this, Daniel? First of all, I believe that university per se uh, should represent an institution where common democratic values and norms are not only taught as part of the education system, but also generally followed and fostered in the scope of university processes. At the same time, however, universities should represent a place of openness, tolerance, uh, scientific debate and constant questioning stemming from research curiosity and interests of both the professors and students. From my understanding of the role of universities, it should not be an institution where any kind of ideological or political doctrine is being taught, be it in positive or negative way. But is this not too idealistic somehow? I mean, how could we ensure a plurality of viewpoints and ideas taught in academia that all equals common values? To me, it does sound like trying to grasp the boundary within freedom of speech. Where do we draw the line? The reality is that there are some examples of higher education institutions in the region, in the Danube region, where one concrete ideology has become the foundation of the university. We can take the Collegium Intermarium in Warsaw, Poland, as an example. This institution aims, according to their webpage, to restore the classical idea of the university creating an academic community deeply rooted in the traditions and culture of Europe. Collegium Intermarium is meant as a response to the crisis of academic life. This is what they say at their webpage. How do they want to respond to this so-called crisis of academic life, as they call it? Ensuring the teaching and the research by following the motto. The Christian tradition is not only the past, but the present and future of Europe. By following only this single worldview and use making a critical, all-embracing approach to science and education impossible, this university practically defies the basic role and mission of the university as such. So we can wonder where does academic freedom start and end? External actors such as the EU, for instance, must have an important role to play when it comes to preserving what you just mentioned, the basic role and mission of the university as such. A place which remains open to critical thinking and debate. Here we ask a participant about her views on the role of EU policymakers towards academic freedom. Let's listen to it. I think uh, they have to play a very important role, although the definition of uh, what is academic freedom can be quite difficult. As a famous uh, German activist once said, freedom is always the freedom of the people who think differently uh, than you do. So I think the role of EU policymakers is actually to ensure academic freedom throughout 
the EU, especially in countries where it is in danger, like in Poland or in Hungary, but uh, at the same time have to be very careful not to defend it too much. So I think the key value for academic freedom is actually the what we call in Germany the freedom and democratic basis. Like if that one is kept, I think uh, there shouldn't be a problem. We already touched upon the defense of academic freedom on behalf of the European Union before, when we talked about the cuts to Horizon and Erasmus Plus funds, targeting some of the Hungarian universities. But what will be the real impact of this measure? Yes, that's a good question. On, on the one hand, the Fidesz party appears to be considering legal actions against this decision, saying they will also make up the missing funds from government sources. But more importantly, in my opinion, is what this decision means for the students and professors. Not this year, but from the year 2024, all research projects of the Horizon Europe program and semester trips of students abroad as part of the Erasmus Plus program are being stopped. I'm afraid this will have eventually huge consequences for the perception of the European Union, particularly by the students who are not able to study abroad without this Erasmus Plus support. Moving forward, we asked some participants whether they feel pressure from the university when choosing their research topic. Both of them come from the same university but are not sharing the same view. Let's give it a listen. Actually, no, I don't feel any pressure from uh, university management or lecturers. I'm basically PhD students and we are aimed to be independent and doing our own things, doing our researches. So basically, uh, we are grown men and women, so we are uh, just going on our own and uh, doing our researches. Actually, uh, university staff and uh, university administrations, other lecturers are quite helping us in our researches and studies. They don't pressure us really because times are changing and university approach to the students and to PhD students, to PhD studies are also changing. So they're kind of improving it. what is going on in my university is that the research topics or for any kind of thesis um, or for coursework they are predetermined and given to us and I feel like I'm limited with my choices like my wishes or interest on what to make research on are not included however after some communication with teacher it is possible to choose the topic but uh, these initial limitations they are, are like I'm not really agreed with them as well as um, there is no possibility of, for example, uh, choosing your academic supporter. I don't know how to how to say it because, like, for example, maybe what I am interested in is a specialization and area of some other person. But what I'm I'm in, I'm given some professor who's who I'm going to communicate this from the beginning. But probably, what if our interests just basically don't meet? So I think that's the thing which bothers me, and maybe I would like to have some more freedom of choice and actually to follow my interests and passions. It is really interesting to hear two quite different perspectives when they come from the same country or even from the same university. From what we have heard, it is obvious that our perception 
of the university and its processes uh, as a whole is very much shaped by our relations with the professors, staff, but also other students. From my personal experience, despite strict curricula and research topics, it has always been a matter of consultations with my supervisor to shape my research towards my interests. With the new region, the level of tolerance varies from faculty to department, I believe. May I then ask you, what are the preconditions in the various institutional structures? How can they differ from country to country? Here I'm thinking about the so-called university culture Lillian mentioned before, as well as the comparison Fiona made between Germany and the Hungarian university system. Issues of university autonomy and governance or complicated institutional setting concern not only the so-called young democracies in the Danube region, just to mention, for instance, Ich bin Hanna initiative happening in the last year in Germany, providing insights into precarious working conditions in the German academia. For instance, universities are subject to special legislation exempting university employees from usual labor rights. All in all, it sort of sounds like a balance between personal views and external forces, right? Exactly. It depends very much on relations between students and professors and how one perceives their personal freedom and autonomy in the academic context. At the same time, however, there are institutional settings, hierarchies and internal as well external factors that are influencing the functioning of the university. So then we sort of go back to this difficult question. Where does academic freedom start and end? Especially as it can be difficult for the international community to check if higher education follows common democratic standards as it depends mostly on the decision of the national governments. But Daniel, we are now approaching the end of our discussion. To conclude, I would like to ask you for your opinion about what I just mentioned. What could be one of the right approaches to follow? Um, I'm convinced uh, we should definitely further strive for raising awareness about these issues we discussed in today's episode and not let uh, the European Union alone in this process. For instance, the International European University and Higher Education Alliances could and should play an important role. Organizations such as the European University Association or the Danube Practors Conference should raise awareness about the worrying uh, developments in individual countries. And by putting these on the table, they could eventually create pressure from universities abroad and uh, maybe change the course of things at the universities that are affected. Daniel, thank you so much. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained, University Autonomy and Academic Freedom, a special episode produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe in collaboration with the 17th DRC Summer School and its participants. An important reminder, this year IDM celebrates its 70th anniversary. So check out our website www.idm.it to find out more about future events. But before to end, Daniel, could you tease us a little bit for the next summer school to come? 
Sure, of course. I can't tell you much, since we are currently fully in preparations, but I'm going to give you two hints. Think about the European Capital of Culture for 2023 and check what is the country with the highest number of DRC member universities. But I can already now promise everyone, as every year, the DRC Summer School will be again an exciting week full of exchange, knowledge and fun. I might already have an idea, but I will check this out. Thank you very much for listening to CEE, Central Europe Explained, and until next time. So you enjoyed this podcast? Then tune into another CEE episode and subscribe to the IDM podcast series on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Acast, or elsewhere you get your podcast. And also, have a look at the rest of our work on our website www.idm.at For any feedback or podcast collaboration, feel free to contact me at e.hontuberry at idm.at The email is in the description below. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained, a podcast series produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe, powered by Elster Group. With the ongoing participation of Daniela Paiden, Malvin Atalik, Daniel Martinek and Sebastian Schaeffer. Production and editing, Emma Hunterberry. Proofreading, Jack Gill. IDM Podcast. Institut für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and Expertise since 1953.